Last week we started looking in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to finish that thought today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first part uh, of the chapter. And what we notice there is that Paul challenged the he challenged the church at Ephesus to live a life worthy of their calling. Uh, and, and at least when I read that, when I, when I look at that, uh, that language, the, there's a couple things that come to mind, a couple questions that come up. The first question, and that's what we looked at last week, is a simple question, and, and it is this. Can I? Can I live a life worthy of, uh, of my calling, whatever that means? Uh, and we looked at really two thoughts last week. Here was the first one, that Paul thought so. Why else would he have put that in the text? Why else would he have encouraged them to live worthy of their calling, to live up to that, if he didn't think they could do it? So, so the obvious uh, first answer is Paul thought that they could do it. Now, now here's the problem. When, when we read this text that says, live a life worthy, uh, we can easily be misled to to uh, uh, misled in what it means to us. He's not there talking about salvation. He's not talking about live in such a way that we can earn salvation. In fact, he spent the first three chapters of the book uh, impressing on us that we're saved not by what we do, not by all the impressive things that we can make happen, but we're saved by instead grace. It's a free gift of God so that no man would boast about that. We're, we're saved by grace, not by what we do. The reality is all we have to do, all we're required to do is accept that gift. If we just simply accept that gift of grace, then God's grace covers us. So living worthy, worthily is not talking about uh, what, what we can do to be saved. It, it's not about us living in such a way as to make God like us. Well, i got to live worthy so God looks at me and says, man, I want him. Let me, let me illustrate it. Let me illustrate this way. Let's assume, obviously this doesn't happen, but let's assume God would show up at, uh, at, at an orphanage and want to adopt a child, wanted to, to take someone into his family, and, and we're at that orphanage, if you will. And, and so he walks into the orphanage, and, and all these kids are lined up, and he looks over and he sees one little boy that's taller than everyone else. Now, I, I'm coming at this from, kind of from my mindset. And this boy's taller than everyone else, and he has in his hand basketball. Uh, and he's sitting there kind of just tossing that basketball up. And so, so if I was God, just clarify here, I'm not God. But if I was God, and I saw that tall kid with a basketball, I'm going I'm, I'm to look at him first. I said, you play basketball? Kid says, yeah. I said, well, let's go over here to the gym. And, and can you shoot a layup? And kid dribbles down, shoots a layup. Well, try a free throw. And he steps back to 15 feet and dribbles a couple times, shoots an a free throw drops in. I step back to the three-point line. So the kid steps back, shoots a shot, perfect arch, perfect rotation, switch. You know what I'd say? Welcome home, son. I'm going to adopt you. You're exactly what I want, a son that can play basketball. Now, God was, God, God was very gracious on me and gave me three sons that play basketball. Uh, I had nothing to do with that, so I'm, I'm glad he blessed me that way. But so God's looking over this group, and now he sees this little girl, and she's a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, and she just has a, the most beautiful little smile. And, and, and as he's looking over, she's humming. And so he stops at her and says, what are you humming there, hon? And oh, she says, I'm, I'm just humming the songs. But we'll sing a little bit. And she begins to sing. Oh, 
when she sings, her face lights up, and she has a voice that's beautiful like that of an angel. And if I'm God, again, I'm not, but if I'm God, I would say, welcome home, honey. See, when we read that, live a life worthy, it's very easy to misunderstand, to think that, okay, I've got to do something. God, uh, and he's already talked about in chapter 1, impressed on us this idea that we're adopted in the family. He's talking to the Gentiles, you're adopted, you've been made heirs, I've invited you in, you have complete sonship. So, so it's easy for us to have this attitude, well, God must look at us like that, I've got to do something to impress him. I've got to make him want me to be, uh, to, to be a part of his family. Uh, so don't misunderstand when Paul starts chapter 4, we, we pointed this out last week, that it really is a shift in thinking here. The first three chapters dealt with grace, what God has done. The next three will deal a little bit more with what we need to do and what our response to that. So living worthy is not about earning salvation or impressing God to have favor on us. It's about our response to His grace. See, the reality is we should be moved and motivated by what God's done for us to live for Him because of that grace. We're empowered then to live like Christ and honor Him. So when he's talking about live a life worthy, uh, we're called to be like Christ. Let me look at just a couple quick verses. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. So if, if we're going to be a part of the family, then we're called to walk like Jesus. Uh, 1 Peter 2.21 says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. So what do we, what do, we do when we're called uh, to live worthy? We, we follow in Jesus' steps. We walk like He did. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Then He goes on, if you want to follow that text up, He goes on the next uh, uh, six verses and tell us what that looked like, what Jesus did. He sacrificed Himself, He gave Himself up, He surrendered Himself, became lowly and, and took on the form of man and so on and so forth. Paul Paul, in essence, spends the rest of the book, and if you really want to think about it, the whole New Testament really is about telling us how do we live like Jesus. So when he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling, he's calling us, he's calling us to live like Jesus. He's not saying, hey, you've got to earn this. It's already been done. It's already been paid for. Now, you need to respond to the grace that you receive. So, so Paul thought we could do it. Well, that's what we looked at last week. Paul said, hey, do it so, so you can. The second thing we looked at, pointed out last week, that Jesus thought we could do it. Uh, in, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, live your life in such a way that people will see you loving one another, and when they see that, they'll know you're my disciples. In other words, Jesus is saying, how's the world going to know me? How's the world going to see me? It's through you. That's how the world knows me. Uh, so Jesus is saying, I know you can do it. So the first question is, can I? Can I really live uh, a life worthy? Paul thought so. Jesus thought so. The second question is an obvious question. It follows that up and, and has, to, has to be asked. Here's the second question. Well, then, how do I? How do I live uh, a life worthy? Paul Begins to address that here. Certainly, we'll, we'll continue to in the, the rest of the book. Let's read the first seven verses in chapter, uh, chapter four. Starting with verse one, it says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy uh, of the calling you have received. Uh, so, so now he's going to say, what's this calling about? 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then verse 7, But to each of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. God gave us, showed us grace on the cross, and now God gives us grace so that we can live worthy. Gives us grace so that we can do it. Uh, how, how do I do it? How do I live worthy? Again, it's not earning, but how do I live worthy? Two things. The first thing is we need to practice grace. Notice what Paul does there. Uh, he says, live worthy, and then he gives a list. Now, I like that. I like that he gives me a list, because now I can, I can look at that list and, 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 and possibly figure out, okay, am I, am I living up to it? Am I doing it? Notice the list that he gives. Now, now I'm going to give you some, some bad news. The list that he gives is not the list that I would give. If I were going to make a list, I'm going to point it out here in just a second. I was going to make a list. It will look nothing like what Paul's list. Because notice what Paul's list is uh, here. Uh, it, you're going to live worthy. This is how you do it. You're humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. How do you measure that? How do I figure out if I'm humble, gentle, patient? <laughs> I mess up on that one all the time, right, Rita? Uh, bearing with one another? If I was going to make a list, it would look a little bit more like this. Now, this is arbitrary. You can make your own list, but my list would be like this. Uh, if I was Paul, I would have written, now, live a life worthy of your calling. This is what it looks like. This is negotiable, guys, so you guys can work it out with me on this. Let's go to church. Let's, you, you must be in church three out of four Sundays. Is that fair? Things come up. Things happen. To be worthy, to live showing that grace in your life, be in church three out of four Sundays. I can do that. See, I like that. See, if I, something like that, I can look at it and say, check that one off. I'm in church three out of four Sundays. Now, here's the problem, because a couple things kind of come up with that. Well, three out of four Sundays, do you mean every month, three out of four Sundays? What if it's the summer and it's vacation time? Surely God doesn't count those Sundays. I, I mean, I, I, I'm in Cancun, or I, I went to the mountains, or I went to the beach, and God doesn't expect us to go to church then, do we? Now, when I was growing up, we used to go to vacation. Uh, we used to go to the Lake of the Ozarks. I grew up in southern Illinois, and that's all the farther we got. Lake of the Ozarks, we always found a church to go to. You think we'd get off one Sunday, but no, we had to go to church. Bob Russell, who used to be the pastor at uh, one of the largest Christian churches, uh, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, uh, said when he was growing up, they never missed a Sunday. He said one Sunday, uh, it, th th they woke up and the ground was covered in snow, about a foot of snow, and he looked at his brother and like, today we won't go to church. Yes. And, but, but his dad got him up and piled him in the car. He said they only got a quarter of a mile down the road and the car got stuck in the road. And he looked at his brother in the back seat like, man, we're going to play all day. They trudged back to the house, dug the car out, got it back home. And then his dad, who said he, he wasn't a preacher, didn't even teach Sunday school, but he got his Bible out. Mom made some communion out of grape Kool-Aid and a cracker and said, we had church in the living room. Now, Russell does go on to point out, you know, that was one of the most meaningful church services I've ever been at as a child. Uh, but... 
But what do we do? Three out of four Sundays. Well, what about vacation? Surely doesn't count, does it? Uh, and and in the summertime when I work a lot and I got I got yard work to do, well, God's not going to count that against me. See, here's the problem. If if that was on the list, we'd find a way around it, wouldn't we? And here's the second way. Here's the second thing that would happen. Some would find a way around it. Some of them would take, in a very arrogant way, would say, four out of four. I was at church every week. In fact, we probably would go a little further than that. Did, did you all ever, back when, uh, I'm, I'm dating myself, so you guys can date. Did, did you ever do that Sunday school pin thing? Did this church ever do that years ago? Yeah, you know, just so you could proudly wear, I've been at church every Sunday. See, that's why we went to church on vacation, because if you went to another church and brought the bulletin back, you got credit. So, so, uh, so you'd have that pin, you know, perfect attendance, and then down however many years. You know, don't be sick on Sunday because you'll mess up your pen. Uh, uh, but I think they gave us like one Sunday off and we could get it. But here's the problem, because then we would be, there'd be some of us, I don't know who that is, just go ahead and raise your hand if that's, you know. Some of us would be, yeah, but I'm four out of four. And, and, and more than that, we'd be like 53 out of 53. I know you think 53. Leap year, leap year. I didn't miss the leap Sunday. I was there. <laughs> And, and, and what does that produce? That begins to produce, one, we had tried to figure out a way around it. Number two, some of us, some of us might have an attitude of, uh, uh, of arrogance and pride. Look what, look what I've done. I was there every Sunday. If Paul's list went on, it, it might, it might look like this. The second thing might be, well, uh, give 10% to the church. Now, we get a little dicey here, cause, cause I know we probably assume that. That certainly was an Old Testament, uh, 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 command and Jesus really told us that we our, our righteous, righteousness should exceed that of the Old Testament, uh, but uh, uh, but it's not really directly commanded in the New Testament, sort of, kind of. But what if Paul just blurted it out? Nope, you have to give ten percent to live worthy. I can, I can do that, but there again, what do we do? Gross or net? <laughs> well, surely he means net. So, 10% after taxes. But there's always loopholes. What if you have your house payment directed, direct, uh, directly taken out of your account? You know, Well, 10% after taxes and house payment. Uh, and anything I put in savings, I'll take that out when I'm retired, and then I'll tithe off of that. So, 10% less taxes. Uh, payment and you know we could just go on and on but then there's going to be that one raise your hand if this is you 12 percent gross i had 100 cows last year we had 100 calves i gave 15 to the church we need to get a little stockyard in the back so people can just bring their cows i had had 100 so there's fifth i gave 12 percent i gave i gave you see what i'm i'm saying what what the list goes on and it could just go on and on and on. Paul could have listed listed things that were obvious, things that we could measure. I did that, I did that, I did that. Instead, oh, instead, what does he say? How does he tell us to live worthy? He says, be humble, be gentle, be patient, and bear, bear with one another. Humility has the idea of of lowly thinking, certainly of yourself, not in a, not in a negative way, but 
putting yourself in the, the proper place. The Greeks, they, they would have really balked at this because they, they would have saw it as him speaking of slaves. See, slaves saw themselves as humble and, and, and lowly thinking. So they, they would have struggled with that. But Paul says, when, when, when you live a worthy life, you look at yourself and realize where you belong. Gentleness really is just a, a, an application of that with our, our spirit. Patience is it, it, us simply waiting on God and then bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. You know, you know what that means when it says to bear with one another in love? Literally what it's saying is there is to put up with one another in love. Boy, that's a good command for the church, isn't it? Church, we need to learn how to put up with one another and and why? Why? You see, when when we're humble and gentle in spirit and patient, and we bear with one another, starting in the body of Christ and then certainly moving out from there, when we put up with one another, what happens? People see it. What would happen, and I'm not suggesting this isn't happening, but what would happen if Troy Christian Church began in a greater way to show humility within the body of Christ, with one another, with, with our community, with our world? What, what if as a church, we began to show more humility and gentleness and patience and putting up with one another, bearing with one another? What would happen if, if we prioritized those things? If our heart was changed so that, that the grace that we received that we didn't deserve or earn, the grace that we received showed itself in showing grace then to other people as God gives us the ability, what would happen? Wouldn't people begin to see Jesus? See, we're called to live a, a life that's worthy. And what that really means is we need to live out loud the heart of Jesus. Uh, last Sunday night, my son Joel uh, lives in Springfield, uh, Missouri. Uh, took his five-year-old and then Evie, who's uh, three or something like that. <laughs> I don't know how old they are. Took his, his middle son and his younger daughter on a bike ride. His oldest daughter, um, Isabel, and, and, and his wife Heidi were at, at a camp. And so he took them out for a bike ride. He said they're, they're riding through their neighborhood and Isaiah, as he's riding his bike, is singing. And he's not just singing, he's singing at the top of his lungs. Joel said it's almost like he was yelling as he sang. Uh, and you, you've got to know, know, know Isaiah. Someday, you know, he may be here to visit. I, little Isaiah has a little bit of a speech impediment, so he's sometimes hard to understand. Um, and so, so Joel couldn't, couldn't understand what he was saying. You know, he got little parts, and so they stopped, and he said, Isaiah, what are you saying? And so Isaiah said what he was saying, and, and Joel still didn't know what he, what he was saying. And whether it was because he couldn't understand the words or because Isaiah heard one word, because it is a song he'd heard at church that day, if, Joel, if Isaiah had got words and kind of got them all mixed up. But he was saying something about God and praising God, you know. But So Joel didn't know what he said, but, but Joel said to Isaiah this. He said, Isaiah, don't sing so loud. From the mouths of babes, Isaiah looked at Joel and he said, but Dad, remember what you said in junior church today? See, that day Joel, Joel had led the junior church at, uh, at their their church and Isaiah was not old enough to be in the class had tagged along with them and Joel had taught about how, how we need to live for Christ not just in the church but we need to take our faith outside so that people see it 
He said, Dad, remember what you said today? You, you told us we're supposed to live outside so people see Jesus. Joe kind of took a step back and, well, you keep singing, buddy. And so along they went. I, I talked to Joe last night to, just to get uh, uh, details on this story to make sure I had it right. And he said, he said yeah, Dad, this morning uh, I, I, I went, and I didn't tell you this really, this morning uh, we, we ran into town and Isabel was in one back seat and Isaiah the other. We had the windows down because it wasn't that hot yet. And I said they both were singing just as loud, and they were singing a praise song, just as loud, just screaming it out the windows, and kind of driving along. He, he, he comes to a stop sign, he looks back and said, said, guys, don't sing so loud. Isaiah looked, looked at Joel and said, Dad, remember? <laughs> the, the reality is, we're, we're called, we're called to have a change of heart. That's what he's it would be great if the list was go to church this number of times, give this amount, serve this many volunteer hours. Then we could go boom, 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 got it, I'm, I'm worthy. Instead, he says, let your heart be changed so that people can see it. Wow. A lot more difficult, but it's real. It's us being like Jesus. That list that he gives there really culminates with that last one, bearing with one another in love. As I mentioned, it really literally means putting up with one another. One another. G.K. Chesterton says this: Love means to love that which is unlovable, or it's no virtue at all. Forgiveness means to, for, to forgiveness means to pardon that which is unpardonable, or it's no virtue at all. See, the reality is we're called if we're changed by Jesus. If if His grace has affected me, so that I can then practice grace, it means that I love, I forgive. I put up, even when people aren't easy to do that. Now, I'm sure there's someone in Troy Christian Church that's not easy to love. Go ahead and raise your hand if that's you. <laughs> Go ahead and point. Oh, pick, it's not you. Go ahead and point at the one. No. <laughs> the the we're called. We're called to, to bear with one another. Why? So the world sees that we're changed by grace. Uh, mentioned that a couple weeks ago, Reed and I went to Mexico with a mission trip with Central Christian Church. We had a guy that went on a trip. I won't, I won't say his name. I don't think any of you would know him. He's not really from around here originally, but, but I'm not going to mention him by name. Um, great guy. Wonderful guy. Uh, uh, great worker. I mean, he worked his tail off. Uh, this is the second year that he's went. He's a, a talented He's ex-military, retired military, has been all around the world. He has seen things and done things and experienced things. And let me put it this way. If you were to be around him, he would share all those things that he's done and seen and experienced. He talked all the way to Mexico. And for five days in Mexico, he talked. And on the way back home, we're tired, everyone's tired. He talked. He talks constantly. God bless him. God bless him. He talks all the time. He's interesting. I mean, he's got some great stories. He's done it all, but but he never stops talking. We, we were two hours into the trip. We stopped at Emporia for breakfast. Uh, a, a sweet lady, uh, Susan, came up to me, and I was filling my drink at the McDonald's there at the, the stop, and she came up, and she just kind of looked at me, kind of cross-eyed or across her face, and said, you put him in that van for a reason, didn't you? See, she was in his van. I was driving one, he was driving the other. I said, Susan, I, he had, someone had to drive the other van. 
No, you. <laughs> oh, wow. Some people take a little more grace. <laughs> One more thought. That nothing to do with sermon really here, but let me just keep going. Um, uh, this guy, on our way back, we stopped in Alamogardo, New Mexico. This is true. We stopped in Alamogardo, New Mexico, and we're, we're eating at a McDonald's. We're, Reed and I are here. There's another couple here, Susan and her husband, and Bob and Susan's two kids, a college age and a high school age kid here. And this gentleman's sitting right there. So he's talking to the boys. Whew, and I'm glad that I'm actually separated just enough that I'm not... On the TV right above us, so we're looking at it. He's not, it's the news account, tragically, of the terrorist attack in Nice, France. And they're just giving details. In fact, the, you know, the, the college age kid looked at it and said, oh, no, not again. So we began to watch that and, and hear the details and just, oh, you know, hearts are breaking with that. And, and this guy began to say, yeah, I've been to Nice. And he begins to tell how, how he was there, how he'd been in France. And he once said, we, when I was in the military, we used to read their magazines talking about the terrorists. They talked like they were going to do this someday. And he begins to go on and on about this interesting stuff, but you know, he just just on and on. And and the college age kid was sitting there. I could tell that he was suffering. He's like, yeah, you know, he wanted to get away. I got up to go get fill my drink. We're talking about the terrorist attack. I go fill my drink. When I come back, he's talking about homemade salsa. <laughs> How do you transition from terrorist attack to homemade salsa? I haven't the foggiest idea. I was just glad I was one place over. Boy, Paul understood the church. He understood that we're made up of a lot of different people with a lot of different experiences, a lot of different attitudes and personalities. And he understood that some of us are going to need a little more grace than others. And when we show that grace, we show Jesus. So practically, he gives us this list. It's not as practical as we would like it to be. We wish it was do this, this, and this, but it said it's be humble, gentle, and all that. Uh, but there's a purpose behind it. Uh, look look with, uh, uh, with me in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. See, the, the purpose of having our heart changed, of, of being changed from the inside and having grace, particularly when it deals with other people, is that it brings unity and people can see that in us. See, Jesus said in, uh, mentioned this last week, John 13, 35, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. If you are together and you sacrifice and give yourself to one another, people are going to know who you are. He also, uh, or, or John also said in 1 John three ten, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. We're called then to love. When, when we love, when we love like Jesus, when people see that, when our hearts are changed, and people see that, they see Jesus. How does our world see Christ? When they see us loving. Tony Campolo uh, tells this, this story. He was in downtown uh, Philadelphia walking down the street. Uh, and uh, Campolo, uh, an author and speaker, says uh, this kind of stuff happens to him all the time. He's walking down the street, and there was a homeless man coming at him down the street. And the guy had a, had a cup of McDonald's coffee in his hand. And Campolo said, I just knew something was going to happen. As the guy approached, he stopped, and he 
thrust out the, the, the cup of coffee and says, hey, mister, you want a drink of my coffee? Capola said this guy was filthy. I mean, he was, uh, he, he was definitely the part of a homeless. Dirty. said he had a long beard that hung down to the middle of his stomach and there was food and dirt and trash and stuff in his beard. And, and he, he was close enough he could see the cup and you could see the dirt on the cup where he had already taken a sip of the coffee. Campolo said, I didn't want a drink of his coffee. But I really felt like that's what I should do. So I said, sure, I'll take a sip. So he takes the cup and spins the cup around so he gets to the right place, takes a little su- cup, uh, sip and hands it back to him. And, and, and then he said, well, well, what made you so generous today, sir, with your, your coffee? And, and the guy says this, well, the coffee was exceptionally good today, so I thought God would want me to share it. Campolo says, that's when I thought, okay, I get it. You're going to want something. You're going to want me to give you some money. So Campolo, Campolo just kind of played along. He says, well, what can I do for you today, sir? And, and as he said that, he's reaching into his back pocket to get his wallet out. And, and the guy says this, can you give me a hug? Campolo says, I'd have rather given him five bucks than a hug. But, but he was committed at this time. So, so he reached over to give him a hug. and said, what he was expecting was just to give him a little gentle hug like this. Uh, but that's not what happened. Said so when he reached in to hug, that guy grabbed him in a bear hug, and he wasn't letting go. I mean, he was squeezing tight and wasn't letting go. Campolo says people are walking by and they're seeing this homeless guy that's dirty and filthy, and this guy in a three-piece suit, and, and said, "I could feel their stares at us. Like, what in the world's going on?" He said, "I began to get embarrassed because this guy wasn't letting go. He was just holding on tight." And then Campolo says, "Slowly, my embarrassment shifted to awe." and reverence because he said it was almost like I could hear the voice of God saying I was hungry did you give me something to eat I I was naked did you give me clothes I was sick did you care for me I was homeless in Philly did you hug me see church when when we when we love like Jesus when when the grace that has been given to us then is produced out uh, and, and practiced out in other people, um, they see Jesus. And, and one last thing, we'll finish here. Uh, we, we need to practice grace. We need to put it into practice. But also he talks here, and I'm just going to touch on this briefly, that we need to produce grace. And this really is the ministry and mission of the church. Look at verse 11. Uh, we haven't read this yet, verse 11 to 13, you, you're, you know these verses. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so, so the world can see us and see Jesus, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become more mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We are called then individually and, and kind of more corporately as the church then to produce grace. We are called in the church to make that happen, to grow together, to, to become mature so that we become exactly what God has called us to be, exactly what Jesus called us to be and show Him. Let me, let me finish with this story. Uh, John Ortberg talks, talks about this idea and he, he he describes it as finding your mission. He, he tells a story. It's about Johnny the Bagger. Uh, J- Johnny worked in a grocery store. He was 19 years old and, and uh, uh, was 
was a Down syndrome child, but he worked in this grocery store as a bagger. <clears throat> One day, their their company, their huge company, had a had a gathering, and a lady named Barbara Gant spoke to about three thousand of the employees, baggers, deckers, uh, managers. They all spoke at this auditorium, and, and she talked about about finding ways to make a difference, finding ways to be a blessing to people in their life. About a month after she spoke, she got a call, and, and, and as she spoke, she handed out her cards and said, if you ever want to call me and, and find out more information about this, my, my phone is always there, call me. About a month later, Johnny called her, and, and he began to talk about it. He said, said, said I work at a store, and I'm, I'm just a, a grocery bagger. He went on to say, yeah, I have Down syndrome, and, and, and listen to what you said, and it really made sense, and I thought, I want to do something. But then I thought, what can I do? I'm just a bagger. He said, but then I came up with an idea. <clears throat> he said he went home and he began to talk to his dad. And they came up with this idea of, of making little cards that had sayings on them. So, so little positive sayings. And so every night I'd go home and dad would help me print out a page and there'd be 11 on each page and I'd print out enough. And I, So when I was done, I had 300 of these little cards. I'd cut them out. And, and whenever I bagged someone's grocery, the last bag that I did, I'd put one of these little slips on top, and then I'd say, I put something in your bag, it's a positive, you need to read it. He said, he did that every day. Uh, about a month later, uh, Barbara got a call from the manager of the grocery store. She said, you're not going to believe what's happening in our store. I, I was walking through the store the other day, and, and the line where Johnny was, was, was tr triple the length of the other lines. So I got on the intercom and said, hey, there's openings in such and such a lane. And I went up to people and said, hey, there, there's a shorter line over here. And they said, that's okay. We want, a, we, we want Johnny's line. See, the, the reality is, is people were looking for, people are looking for hope and encouragement and joy. They're looking for someone to care. Uh, we're, we're called we're called to practice grace. Take the grace that's been given to us and then practice it in our life to others. And then as individuals, as a church, then produce grace in others' lives. Boy, it would be so much easier if Paul simply said, do A, B, and C, that we could check it off. Instead, he says, let your heart be changed. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you today for uh, the, the positive message that we have in Scripture. One that we're saved by grace, but also one that we can live in such a way to honor you uh, and reflect you and show you. Father, help this church and help each one in this church uh, be uh, agents of that change. Father, help us uh, have humility uh, and gentleness and patience. Father, help us learn to bear with one another, literally put up with one another uh, so we can have unity, so the world, uh, so our community, so even in this body, we can see your grace uh, as an example of Jesus in our hearts. Father, guide us today. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Our decision hymn this morning is hymn number 373, I Surrender All. God is calling us to surrender. Uh, that's really what what the challenge is. Just meeting a couple requirements really doesn't take surrender. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. 
giving your heart to the Lord is what surrender is about. Would you stand as we sing?